funding for Sundays on the East End comes from Duncan Darrow of Sag Harbor, who is the founder of Fighting Chance, a free cancer counseling center for the East End for 18 years. Learn more online at fightingchance.org. Well, welcome everybody to Sundays on the East End here with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. We are going to bring on our guest in a little while, the magician, Sag Harbor resident, Alan Kronzek. Your middle name, well, his middle name is Zola. We'll talk, we'll talk about all of all of that, but um, Alec, you, we, we've been we've been talking for a little while about magic and right. Whatnot. Well, magic and magical thinking and um, what seems to be a part of the human condition to uh, both analyze and be cynical, but then also need to believe in a false sense of control. And I don't know if that's magic, <laughs> but that's definitely humanity. Or if it's just you. It could be me. <laughs> it could be me. Uh, you know, I mean, again, like we don't really talk topical stuff, but uh, we're coming off of like a. Uh, a month of pain in this country uh, based on the illusion that somebody it has more power or control than they actually had and uh, caused a lot of pain. So magical thinking permeates every aspect of our lives. Uh, but also uh, magicians, which is like a word that when it, as a child you hear that word and there's a sense of wonder. And then as an adult, there's kind of a sense of like, Somebody really spends their life doing that, and what is it? And so, well, I also go back and think about like ancient, like you know, when you say magician, the first thing I think of is someone like Jafar from Aladdin, like somebody in a long robe who, who you know, predicts the eclipse and and wows all of the natives. Right, but that could be right. And and again, I'll I'll fudge this a little bit, but you know, you had priests who, in theory, were connecting with a higher power. You had prophets that in theory the higher We're power channeling. was channeling right. through them. And then you had magicians or wizards that were somehow uh, becoming a deity themselves in the moment because they were changing the physics of what you perceived. Right. So that is somewhat perhaps what, what magic was based on. We'll, we'll get, Alan will have a thing or two to say about that when he comes on the air. But... Um, we were you you t- you touched on the whole idea of kind of childlike wonder that we had. Yeah, well, that's another thing, which is uh, when I was a kid, I can remember getting a, a, ma- a magical kit and doing a couple of very rudimentary things, and then not sticking with it, uh, largely because I think, and it's my personality through my, my whole life. Um, I don't like to really be in front of people unless I'm comfortable being in front of people. And the idea of having to, like, fool people and be in front of people and all that stuff. Well, fool people. That's really interesting because, I mean, you do fool people. You write screenplays. About oh, movies <laughs> are complete <laughs> right. magical thing. I mean, movies, right. uh, the compression of everything into this illusion of motion and life and time and space. Uh, absolutely. Uh, but I don't have to be in front talking right. about it. I get it. I get it. Um, and, uh, you know, I was raised with, with magic. My dad was a member of the Magic Castle. In, in, in Los Angeles? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was raised in, in Los Angeles. So right. as a as a kid, he would do magic tricks. I'm there, you know, I lived about, when I first moved out to L.A., I lived about a half a mile from the Magic Castle. I never went. You never and went. And now I kick myself for not having well, I think access to that. I think it might be in Jane Fonda's book. One of them, it's about how my dad was was always doing magic tricks for everybody. And when I was growing up, I mean, my dad's nickname was Flash Leroy. His... his um, pads of paper said from the desk of Flash Leroy, he always had flash paper on him. So we'd go into Maxwell's Plum and he'd go, Poosh, you know, mm. to, to, to wow the, the waiters or whatever. Right. And uh, and I remember, I mean, still, we were already living out here. So he was probably, you know, maybe in his 50s or well, something. Well, so when your pop was a kid and, and The Wizard of Oz was being made, that's like one big celebration of some form of Well, he mi- grew mis- up on the Warner Brothers, you know, Right, but remember like when the, when the witch would like, like, disappear with yeah. the poof of smoke i mean yeah. that's it's that all put her in the hospital for and a even long time. and even when dorothy ran away and, and ran into the traveling uh guy who was right. half a wizard i mean it's yeah yeah so, so but i remember that you know and also jules fisher who's a lighting designer broadway lighting designer very very well known and met won many tony awards he was a, a absolute master of sleight of hand and would do these incredible coin tricks and stuff but what i was gonna say my dad's last trick that i remember was he was just lying on the couch the football game was on i walked in the room he went the deck of cards over there and it hadn't been opened yet i said can you open it and i said he said yeah just open it. he said pick a card i picked a card and he's like is it the tennis spades and it was, <laughs> I was like, wow. how the hell did you do that dad right. but that also yeah, gets to like that also gets to like so you have like the the david copperfield 
kind of huge well, yeah. stuff. And then you have the very, like the hand stuff, the, the card tricks. And I, I'm always curious about that because when I have been in close proximity to somebody that, you know, does something that like my mind goes pow, that's more impressive to me than like watching like somebody on a crane well, doing yeah. something. You know? But I think that that. I think that as entertainment has become bigger, a larger audience, like with TV and stuff, it's created these incredibly huge people like Chris Angel or David Blaine or David Copperfield or whatever, where, where it's become this huge, because really, I mean, think about it, Eric and I were talking about it this morning, and my husband and I, it used to be, there was a lot more live entertainment in general. You know, there were vaudeville houses and music halls, and there were lots and lots of places where people could go. So there were probably a lot of magicians. But now it's kind of Vegas. I mean, you think magician, you think Siegfried and Roy, you think Vegas or Atlantic City, but a big place. So the personalities have to be bigger. Or 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 kids' birthday parties. Or right. like I, I've been to I've been to. Uh, cocktail parties for adults and they'll hire somebody that will go around and again in very close proximity yeah. uh, perform I, I, I'll go to say illusions but perform tricks <laughs> perform magic that everybody how would you do that oh my god all that stuff and <laughs> and and so it but it is like not uh, if you will mainstream right and then when it goes on TV and one of those kind of big uh, perverted productions uh, it's just spectacle yeah, yeah. You know. Well, exactly. It is spectacle. And it's really interesting because actually our brilliant producer, Kyle Lynch, was telling me when I came in that he actually was on YouTube yesterday looking at magic tricks. And he had just gone down the rabbit hole. He wasn't like, he's not changing careers and becoming a magician, I hope, because we need him here. But, um, you know, that th there are there are still places where you can do it. But I would think that looking at a film of it, you can figure that someone has edited it. So Who it's knows? not the same as that. That one-on-one, -on -one, when someone does a really good card trick or a really good coin trick or something with their hand, right. it is magic to me. That I, I'm like, how do they? I mean, I know it's not. I know there's a trick to it, but you said beforehand that now, as we grow older, when you're a child, you're more willing to accept that it's magic, or at least to, to accept the unknowable. Absolutely. And as an adult, you're well, looking. Oh, well, we're hardwired as adults to to be a little bit more cynical and not see and see the the strings of the puppeteer or, or wanna or believe we do um and that that's sad to me um yeah. i mean i think that every day is filled with wonder if you allow it to be um and and yet i'm the first person to say oh i know how that happened or i yeah there's always a reason for something and even that's something that i think is fascinating because you can look at all the different forms of illusions or or, or magical thinking and part of it for me is just well maybe some things should just be unexplained yeah that's a the profound great, concept the great unknowable and hopefully you know talking with alan will bring us a little closer to that so you're listening to bridget Leroy and alex Sokolow, sundays on the east end yes and uh, you're listening to us here on 88.3 wppb long island's only npr station we're always up for uh, someone to donate if they like they can do that online right now at 88 3WPPB.org. And we're going to be right back with Alan Zola Kronzek, author, magician, and wonder maker, right after this. 365 days a year, WPPB is working for you on the air and on our website. WPPB has a helpful community calendar on our site. Just go to 883WPPB.org to the community calendar tab and tell us about your activity or event. It's free, easy, and fast. WPPB is the voice of the community, 365 days a year, seven days a week, on the air and online. Spread the word about your community events. Go to 883WPPB.org. We're back, Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. And we're here on WPPB. You can listen to us online at 883WPPB.org or make a donation anytime. And we're here with our magical guest, Alan Zola Kronzek. Am I saying your name right? You got it. And is Zola your, your, your birth middle name? Yes. That's amazing. Like Emil? 
exactly like a meal. Oh, so are you related? Uh, no. Um, oh. <laughs> the, the, the relation is by association. Right, but uh, like, I wonder if like when you were like first coming into your consciousness and you have a middle name, I don't know if you even thought it was unique, but it's, it's, it seems magic. Like Zola is like a really cool middle name. I didn't think so at the time. It yeah. took me a long time to uh, use it. And, yeah, you know, I just thought it was strange, and so people said, "You know, what is that, and what kind of name is that?" Did you have a magician name? Because that would totally be—I'd be like Zola the Magnificent. I uh, I did latch onto Zola for a while. You did. Yes, yeah, so I used just just Zola, not well, the Alec has a magical and, middle yeah, name. Yeah, my middle name is Dove. Dove. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I love good. That. It's yeah. beautiful. My yeah, and I wanted yeah. to change it to Vaughn because I would have gone from like a Russian Jewish peasant to like German royalty. <laughs> like Alec Von Sokolow. Well, you sounds like you have a little God complex there. Oh, absolutely. We were talking about that. No, so no. do you think that magicians, at least in, in ancient lore, kind of had a, as you were saying, a God well, complex? I don't know if it was a God complex. I mean, or, uh, like if the, they, act, they acted, the, the magician acts the part of God in that uh, the essence of magic is to create something out of nothing. Right, you and you, you, like before we went on the air, you had said something in passing, which is uh, the sense of controlling the universe, especially in the way back, way back time when there was a lot of death and pestilence and dying and all this stuff at a young, younger age. The idea that you can control things and push away evil or control evil uh, or do whatever. Yeah, do something, do something. rather than do nothing. Uh-huh. And then uh, you had specialists then who say, Come to me, and I'll show you the stuff to do that will put you in control. Yeah, of your I, life, I, you, you know, know, I read I read uh, a biography on, on Jesus about five years ago called Zealot. I forget the writer's name, but it was, it was a best-selling book. And in it, oh, yeah, one of the yeah. points one of the points he made was that there were a lot of people traveling the countryside doing magic or doing uh, parlor tricks, but they were always asking for money. So it was always like there was a transaction, and that he evidently would do a lot of those uh, same things. He, but he being Jesus? Jesus, but not ask for anything other than now let me talk to you. So what he really wanted was your ear. And that that was considered because- uh, Got your ear. Well, no. yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, that, and that's where all the quarters are. <laughs> 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 no, but, no, but that's, but that, so, so even there, it's like that sense of, well, maybe he does have some special thing because he doesn't want money, you know? And I don't mean to get into religion. No, but no, that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, Magic is always a, a good way to draw a crowd, yeah. period, <laughs> period you know, yeah, and yeah. pitch them whatever it was you're going to pitch them. And for, for many years, you know, in 16th, 15th century, um, 17th century, magic was also uh, often had a bad reputation because somebody would come to town and gather people around and do it's, a few and tricks and then go into the swindle. Yeah. Right, buy this know. magical elixir. Right. Yeah, exactly. And Snake oil. Live oh. forever. During the break, you were talking, uh, we had been talking about how magic has kind of entered the world of, of grandiosity right. versus the, the small sleight of hand one-on-one. And you were making a very interesting point. I was making the point that uh, thanks to television shows like America's Got Talent and uh, Fool Penn and Teller, Fool Us, um, there's a lot of exposure to close-up magic because the camera can go right in and so guys are doing card tricks and coin work on Penn and Teller mm-hmm. and the guy who just won um, America's Got Talent, Chin Lim, uh, is a fabulous, the act is fabulous. It's a wonderful act for television especially and I've seen him live in, in person and he does similar things and we, us card magicians, share a lot of the same material. Right. So like when you watch, when you watch somebody else work, are you thinking like mechanically of like I know what they're doing and I know what they're or do you or do you still have that sense where you can let it go and just be go on the the wonderful trip? Um, if I'm taken on a wonderful trip, it's because I'm completely fooled and have no idea what's going on. Wow, that's cool. And that happens often. That's amazing. <laughs> because I get to see some of the greatest magicians in the world just because of a um, convention I go to, an invitational every year. That has about 300 close-ups. <laughs> that must and be stuff. so much fun. You know, Are there uh, lots and lots of bunnies? No bunnies. No bunnies? Do you, do you ever get like no stuck bunnies. with the bill? Like no if you're bunnies. at that convention <laughs> and like, and everybody's out having a good time Every- and they're like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> Did they disappear in a puff of smoke? Oh my God. They never disappear. They hang out in this 
hotel for three days, 24 hours a day, wow. you know, do, doing uh, lectures and performances and then just hanging out and swapping tricks. But and that, that must be amazing. I mean, I knew you were going to say something about swapping trips, tricks. Maybe I'm a mind reader, but that, that's one of the things that always amazes me about magic is that it's somewhat based on deception and keeping your cards very close to the vest. Well, it's entirely based on deception. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that's... Which, which, which is then, again, is about how we all are slaves to logic. And we all... So, so the, the real fool, fooling that goes on is in our own heads because we're, like, grabbing onto logic that may or may not really exist, but we... Um, it's because of logic, I think, that... Uh, we react when there's uh, no rational explanation for what you see. But in terms of uh, witnessing magic, it's not logic that's operating at all. It's automatic perception. Right. But, but, but I'm saying, like, so, like, in comedy writing, there's, like, the rule of three. Right. Right? And it's just that, you know, the first thing, you establish an idea. The second one, you reaffirm it, creating a logic. And the third one, you break it. And that's what gets the laugh. So it, it's not even the content necessarily that's funny. It's the it's the inner game that goes on in one's mind. I'm not sure that it isn't the content that's funny. The structure remains the same. Okay. Uh, you know, but the you have to have some good lines there if you're going to get a laugh. Yeah. But I'm not sure what you're saying about that in relation to magic. Well, because I because I know when I've sat in the audience at a Penn and Teller show, I've sat yeah. in the audience and or or in close proximity. I'm watching somebody, I'm aware I'm watching somebody that is trying to fool me. Right. But I'm also very uh, taken with the the normalcy of the certain things before I get fooled. Right, right. That's what I mean. I mean yeah, the normalcy, because everything, it has to look like nothing is going on that could possibly explain what you see. Yeah. Everything is normal and above board and easy to follow. Well, you had also said, I, I, if it's okay for me to jump around a little bit, that um, like smaller venues are kind of making a comeback in a way like, you know, like Alec had said, vinyl, like vinyl records are making a comeback. Right. And the fact that two magicians have won, you know, America's Got Talent shows that maybe mm -hmm. people want want that kind of, they, they want to be inspired <laughs> with a smaller, you know, a smaller trick, if for lack of a better word. And the grandeur is kind of well. Know, but the follow-up to that is that both of those magicians who won fulfilled their dream and went to Vegas. Right. Okay. You know, so everybody so ends up. You get there on Southwest Airlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to hear about your Vegas trips of socks. I, I, I don't remember them. They can just remember them. You weren't there. Right. 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 They can just be so much more successful and make so much more money. Yeah. Um, working in Vegas. Right. You know. And then it there are other, other people that. who like Blaine. Uh, yeah. David Blaine has, you know, was really successful on television. Does a lot of close-up, works a lot of private. But like when he and, first like busted out, and I, yeah. for me at least, when I first became aware of him, one of the attractions to him was that he didn't wear the top hat and the coat, and he was just some normal guy that you'd see on a street, and then he would do something again that you'd see on camera, but he'd do something you'd be like, whoa. So I think part of his, if you will, act or part of his uh, branding is. I'm just like David. I'm just David from the block, and like, and yet I'm gonna like mess with your mind. And in fact, he really is David from the block, <laughs> right? You know that persona. That's him. Yeah. So and, you know him. I mean, you've met. I've uh, met him. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And uh, he he did that. He brought that to magic, but also they figured out uh, how to make it work on television by concentrating on the audience rather than Blaine. Well, you were just so, you yes. were going into the, uh, this conversation, Bridget had said to me several times that she was really fascinated by the role that the audience plays in the magician's uh, performance. Because if there's so many, uh, I consider magic to be a form of art uh, or theater performance. It is. You know, it's performance yeah. art. So... There are lots of, there's lots of art. There's, I know people who make paintings that they never show to anyone or write a book, but they never show anyone they're doing it for themselves. But magic, I just feel like you really need an audience for that. Magic does not exist without an audience because the magic exists in the mind of the beholder. Right. You know? That's and if wonderful. you don't have a beholder, you, you don't have any magic. When I practice, it's, it's not magic. It's fun. Right. But, <laughs> it's fun but, and you're, you're, you're sharpening you know, your chops. Magic is really like a, a co-created experience. It right. Uh, so, in between so, the magician so and can the you, audience. So can you uh, talk a little bit more about that? Because 
Uh, that's interesting. When when you're practicing, you're always even you're thinking of the audience that you're going to be performing in front of. Well, it depends on what aspect I'm practicing. If I'm yeah. just doing technical stuff, then I'm just doing technical stuff and running through my repertoire so I don't forget things because some of the yeah you have to stay uh, limber and your I yeah. mean, body memory. And you know, stuff and too. I know uh, over the years I've learned a fairly large body of work, but if I don't perform it. Uh, I forget it. Yeah, right. you know. So Tony you, Bennett had that uh, a phrase, or uh, he said once that if he doesn't do his scales for a day, he knows. If he doesn't do them for two days, his band knows. If he doesn't do them for three days, the audience knows. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a good place to take another little break. You're listening to Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Uh, on Sundays on the East We're End. here, here with Alan Zola Kronzik. Yep. Magician. Masterful magician. And, and Sag Harbor resident. And a grandpa. Well, no, he isn't a grandpa, but he's a book called Grandpa Magic. Oh, okay. It's about how to be a grandpa. They made me a grandpa. <laughs> they made you. Okay. Well, he's an better. honorary grandpa. Honorary an and, and HG. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be we'll be right back. Is there someone in your life you'd like to honor? Family member, friend, an unsung hero? Nominate them for a Merci Bouquet, delivered free from Sag Harbor Florist. Send name and contact information to bonnie at 883wppb.org and listen Friday mornings on the Media Mavens on WPPB. Merci Bouquet, giving thanks to our community. We're back. Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Sundays, Sundays on the East End. With our guest, Alan Zola Kronzek, magician extraordinaire. And we were going to go right into talking about your journey, Alan. Uh, I mean, you must have seen some trick that blew your mind to make you want to do this for, the, for your whole life. Yeah, what happened? Like, so, you, so, so you're, you're a child, and how did magic enter your... Like you, I got a magic kit, you mm -hmm. know, and I was probably about nine years old. And I, th that was it. That was my gateway drug. I just got hooked immediately. <laughs> um, I liked the fantasy of power, you know, being able to do things um, that other people couldn't do. And I liked the methods. The, uh, I had never seen anything like that before, how clever um, things were, how you could make something apparently disappear. Or uh, and, and, and were you performing, like you get your kit and perform initially, but were you performing through your adolescence? Uh, yeah, I was doing, by that time, I was doing kids. And, and where are you from originally? Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, all right. Yeah. Oh, uh, like our friend Joe Shaw. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> We're both Steelers fans. I yeah, bet you Steelers, are. Steelers, right, and the city of Hills, right? I mean, there's a, yeah. a lot of hills there. Yeah. And, and uh, in, from being from Pittsburgh, uh, was there a, a thirst to, like, imagine that you were someplace else? <laughs> That's a horrible thing to say. <laughs> As so, I got older and older, yeah. You yes. know what? That was such a snobby <laughs> New York City Upper West Side thing hey, to say. You know what? I no, was not it, the center of the universe. I, 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 I didn't say New York. You're the one that jumped to New York. I mean, he could have said he wanted to move to like uh, uh, Mercer. You know, Every, everybody wants to move to New York. <laughs> By the time I was, uh, you know, uh, in high school, I wanted to get out as yeah. quickly as possible. But it turned out Pittsburgh is a wonderful city. Yeah, these well, days. and and with uh, well. First of all, a great tech yeah. city now. Tech but, and, but, and medicine. But with Carnegie Mellon, also a great shadow of performing arts. Yes. And so did, did that touch you at all when you were growing up? I, w I went to Carnegie Tech for uh, one year. Oh, far out. In the theater department. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah. You so know. that, uh, again, honed your skills as a performer. Um, it was, yes, it certainly did. It, w it came as a surprise to me um, because my interest was in film directing, not in theater directing. Oh, far out. But I was in Pittsburgh, and everybody said, you know, you have the best directing school in the country, this or Yale. Right, right. right. If you want to be a director, go to tech. They should have said, go to NYU film school, you know. <laughs> and, and did you pursue uh, uh, film directing? Um, I pursued it for a while. I went to Hollywood after I uh, graduated from college, and I uh, wrote some screenplays yeah. that never got made. But, yeah, uh, no, as... The, as do everybody, <laughs> including people who get them made, like myself. I my failure rate is huge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like so funny because uh, I think that you know I I've, I've written seventy five scripts and I've had eight made. 
Right. So, you, you know, you just become a glutton for punishment if you stick with it. <laughs> so so anyway, back to you, Alan, yeah. <laughs> and your magical journey. So when did you realize that this was a career for you? Uh, well, it didn't become a career uh, until a while. Um, after, so I, I got into it at a young age. I was a shy kid, but this uh, enabled me to perform for right. people and get up in front of people. Then when I went to college, I put it aside and um, I'll just pass over the lived in New York, went to California, mm -hmm. went to Hollywood, came back to New York, got married, and came out to the Hamptons for a weekend. Um, how long yeah, was we, that? We, we, were, we were actually asking, I was yeah. asking about that. So how did you end up on the East End? Well, you know, I was uh, a free, uh, at that time I was a free, freelance writer in New York City. And one of my jobs, I worked for... Uh, three tabloid trash newspapers writing tabloid trash. Oh, that's so was, exciting. That was a wonderful job. You know, I used and to edit <laughs> Penthouse Letters, and a lot of people oh, don't you? know that. Did you know that about I me? I did not know that. Yeah, but that was I, that was one of the best jobs I ever had. It was so trashy my, and fun. My first professional yeah. writing job was writing fake letters for National Lampoon Magazine. Really? Yeah. Well, I was writing fake letters for Penthouse. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Were you? No, you yeah. were. Oh, yeah, you were writing yeah. those letters? No, some of them. But some we got some in as well that I would have to edit them. That was a great yeah. style sheet. I'll show it to you sometime. Yeah, that's great. So um, so you're, you're, you're working for the tabloids. I'm and working for the tabloids. You're not tabloid. mentioning them, but they, they rhyme with like the New York Post and... No, well, it was, I was the, the it was World the News. National Star Chronicle. Oh, like real tabloids. Limelight. Yeah. No, no, they were yeah, real, real tabloids. tabloids. Yeah, like, yeah like, no, they were national tabloids. And, oh, that's uh, so much fun. I love those. And love we those just uh, made up shit. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You take picture, pictures out of Russian newspapers and stick them on the cover and say, she was raped by Hitler's ghost. And then you, then you <laughs> write wanna, the story. You know, I'm a journalist, but I really so, want to write stories like that. I really, really do. Well, this really uh, um, appealed to the trickster element uh, that uh, is part of me. So it kind of ignited that or, or, or it fed into fed it. Fed into it. Sure. So yeah. great. You know, and, it was, and it was also uh, like short story writing. Absolutely. You know? And so I wrote three days a week. And anyway, the what's, what's the craziest one? Do you remember like the craziest one that you that you did that got published? Uh, they all got published. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty low bar, huh? Um, well, we had various types of stories. One was called a roundup story. Okay. Roundup story is the editor would collect clippings from the Times and the Post and about interesting subjects. And then I'd get a folder and say, okay, now write a story. So the, uh, the story was the, there weren't enough mental institutions and people. I'm, I'm trying to remember what the, the original hook on the time story was, but it was about the shortage of mental institutions. And our story was headlined, Nuts Are Walking the Streets. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't exactly fake news, right. but it was fake news. That was a spin. It was creating a narrative. <laughs> well, that was called a roundup story. Right. Then you had a cheesecake. Right, right. So I love the you cheesecake. Get, you get some cheesecake of some So it was the best one. Yeah. And it would be an interview. And we were talking to Sarah at her penthouse apartment, and she's wearing <laughs> this and that. And we're, what do you like in a man? Oh, I like my men, you know, simple and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, to appeal too. to our readers. You so know? you didn't really have to make that up, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I remember reading one about like a tribe of Al Jolson lookalikes. Oh, it was the most. It was Al just Jolson horrific and so racist and so horrible. But you know, funny too. I mean, it was just horrible. The stuff that I I love right. the Weekly World. And news. so and so we, anyway. we got just an, uh, we yeah. got uh, a cease and desist though. When um, we from Hitler's ghost? No, from <laughs> from, from a, um, a bogus. Um, racist physician who was um, inoculating black woman with some kind of virus. Wait, and that, that was a real person or that was a no, fake person? No, it was a made-up story. Made up story. Yeah. Okay. It was a made-up story, but the uh, South Carolina um, DA, you know, yeah. did a, uh, we had to do a retraction. Oh, wow. A special, and, but only there did yeah. they do the retraction. Wow. Anyway, anyway, so to, here to you get are. back on the track, yeah, yeah, the, the editor, um, was the guy who came out to the Hamptons. Okay. And he said, you want to come out for the weekend? And sure. Oh, it's nice out here. And um, I was in transition in the city. I'd gone to Europe and come back to New York City and was living in a friend's apartment and was had recently gotten married. And I needed a place to stay. Right. You know, and found out, oh, you can get rentals here over the winter. 
and they're very inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah they didn't reasonable. tell me about the hint. They didn't tell me about the heating. Right, right. So, uh, and my wife is pregnant at the time. My first wow. wife. So we decided to come out here and move here, and we rented this enormous house on Spring Close Highway with a tennis court at some ridiculously low rent. Right. Uh, but we had to be out by the summer, of course. The heating bill was enormous. It was. Uh, Anyway, uh, we got out. Yeah, yeah. And, and, now, and now you live in Sag Harbor. And now I live in Sag Harbor. Right. And and uh, when you came out here, had you written your first book on, on magic? Uh, no. I had written a bunch of articles. I used to, uh, I, I wrote for Downbeat um, Magazine, Jazz. Now, so is is this your first book? The um, No, my first book isn't. The, I didn't okay. even bring in my first book. But this is book. your biggest, The Sorcerer's yeah. Companion, A Guide to the Magical World of Harry Potter. So That's the big one. But the first one yeah. was, let me, let me. Yeah. yeah. Go yeah. back to the track, so I'm now I'm out here, right? And I haven't been doing much magic at all. But you got heating bills to pay. And my parents say, "Hey, get all that magic shit out of the basement," you know, because I had a big <laughs> cabinet, and, and you I couldn't just supplies. make it go poof. You couldn't make just make it disappear. I made it disappear into a car. Oh, you know? okay. And I drove okay. <laughs> it out here. Yeah. And uh, my friends uh, had a son having a birthday party. And, oh, you did magic. So I started doing magic again. And then I meet a literary agent who says, can you write about magic? I have a friend at Cricket Magazine, which is a Right, it's like highlights. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I I started writing a a magic uh, how-to for Cricket. A character came to me named Alcazar and... (laughs) That turned into my first book, The Secrets of Alcazar. Oh, oh, that and, sounds and, and what was the character Alcazar? Alcazar was a master magician, um, and the book is told by the student, who is me. That was uh, nice. a master stroke, you know. Well, uh, well, again, that's a device, you know, in Great Gatsby and in other great, yes. you know. Well, you were uh, the, in, in, right, in you were the observer. Dick, where you're the observer of... Exactly. And yeah. Of the crazy me, person. <laughs> it took me off the hook of having to personally say, this is what you should do. This right. is how you should do it. And right. Alcazar would say those things. Right, right, and, right. And I would comment. So, so again, uh, you were able to be the shy child and have some a, a, a facade or a, a persona veneer, right. in front of you um, yes. to do the performing yeah. for you, even though it was really you. Yes. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, uh, and so that's your first book. That was my first book. How many books have you written? Uh, six. Wow. And when if uh, my wife and I did a book together, a kid's book on Lee Krasner. And, oh, wow, uh, yeah. My wife, Ruby, did the illustrations, and uh, it was her idea, and I did the text. Oh, that's so fantastic. Is, is that one of the six, or is that... Uh, no, I think that's, that's a, a seven. seven. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's seven. That's amazing. But and, the biggest... And one of the six is yet to come out. It's all written and illustrated, but it hasn't been published what, what's yet. What's that one called? The Book of Powers. Ooh, I want that one. We all want powers. Yeah. We all want magical powers. <laughs> so let, but let's talk about... Um, the Sorcerer's Companion. The Sorcerer's Companion. So sure. I want to know, like, were you watching it going, that's not how magic happened? Like, what inspired you? What made you sit down and write this, which is about the, the lore of magic, right? Magic no, it's lore. about Harry, the, the, the magic in Harry Potter, not the characters, not the story. It's about what the spells... The spells and the potions and the... Wh- Where all this stuff comes from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what made you want to... You were watching the movies and were, did you love them or were you... I was uh, unaware of Harry Potter until the... <laughs> I mean, it, I knew it was a craze, but I didn't think it was for me um, around the fourth book. I had been planning to write another book. Uh, we didn't mention I was also doing a bunch of school programs, going into schools, doing magic. That's and cool. talking about science and the history of magic and all that's of that. That's so great. That's, that's what my venue was and I was when I became a magician. and uh, So I was doing all of that, and my Alcazar book had done very well in libraries. But when I was doing these programs, kids would say, um, is magic real? You know, can people really do these things? Or That's so sweet. So I thought I'd write a book about that because there were no books in middle schools that talked about magic and the idea of magic in a skeptical, rational way. They stayed away from it. There weren't any books on witchcraft in middle school. Right. Well, so yeah. I thought I would write one, um, a history of magic from like ancient Greece to Harry Potter. And, and I asked my daughter if you, you want to write it with me. And she said, sure, but let's let, why not make this all Harry Potter, Harry Potter? And so everything I wanted to do, I was able to do anyway. Right. But by getting on the, the coattails of Harry Potter. And did you hear, hear from J.K. Rowling at, at I, all? I did. I or her people. This, yeah, I think they wanted to see a copy of the book. But the interesting part was the court, tri- uh, the trial. 
Oh, uh, oh. Not, not, not for me. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> she sued somebody else who wrote a guidebook to the Harry Potter books, and all he did was just repeat in his own words everything that was in the Harry Potter book and list all the spells right. and right. say who did what where, and she stopped that. Right, uh, but this and, book and didn't the, have the same. In the trial, um, they said to her, are you aware of this book, The Sorcerer's Companion? She said, yes. Um, what do you think of it? She thinks, I think it's a very good book. It gives me no problem whatsoever because it expands the knowledge of magic. The, Anybody? The you're, you're, not t- you're not touching right. on her invention as much as you're acknowledging her, where her inventions might have come from. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that so. actually is giving it more cre- credence in a way. Well, it's so. just explaining where all this yeah. lore comes from. And so, you know, so can, you, can so you give old. an example, though? So well, like in I, Harry Potter, I, you know, I watched the movies. I didn't read the book. So, well, um, you didn't. The books are really, really good. But well, here I'm, I'm, I'm opening the table yeah, of yeah. contents, and the, the the first it's alphabetical. Right. So the first entry is on amulet. Now, people in Harry Potter, they have amulets. Yeah, they make. Yeah. You know, so what is an amulet? What does it come from? So you get the Egyptian background. Uh, the oh, second so entry cool. is arithmancy, which was Hermione's favorite subject. I don't remember. What is it? Arithmancy? Arithmancy. Well, she talks about, about it. About math? Is it about math? It is about math, but it's this, arithmancy is um, prediction through numbers. Arithmo oh, right. is number, and mancy is... So it's like um, numerology, kind or, or, of? Or Kabbalah. Not, not some. It's exactly, it, that's what it is. It's numerology. It's yeah. taking uh, numbers and translating them into letters and... Um, so you really took everything that was in Harry Potter and and broke down its origins. Exactly. Went through the book. Every mention of anything magical, magical creatures, magical spells, that she did not invent. Right. That was the subject matter. Oh, that's amazing. Right. And, and, um, all right. So I'm, I'm just looking at the table of contents. And so... Uh, you have a, astrology. Uh, I think most people have a relationship to astrology. What is banshee? Oh, a banshee? A banshee is an Irish spirit. It's a fierce well, Irish Well, you say like screaming spirit. like a banshee? Yeah. Susie okay. and the banshees? Yeah, um, the banshee would haunt places. Ba- and a basilisk? A basilisk? A basilisk was a, um, a giant serpent that in Greek lore... Uh, would turn you to stone if you looked you at it eye him? to eye. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not <laughs> testing. I, I could, no, I'm, 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 not, I, I'm not that aware and, of all And the basilisk and plays a huge role in, in the Chamber of Secrets. It's this right. giant serpent right, that guards that's hidden the, in the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah. And, and, and what is like the origin of that giant serpent, like the myth of the giant serpent? Well, it's reported in Pliny the Elder. Okay. Um, and he, there's a lot of interesting stuff about creatures that live in other lands that nobody ever saw. Yeah. And that was the lore of the basilisk. And Pliny believed it to be a real creature. And so he wrote the description of what it looked like, what its habits were, how you kill it. Um, J.K. Rowling used a lot of that. Um, it's a Greek lore that the basilisk cannot stand the sound of a rooster crowing. And that's in one of the Harry Potter books. But J.K. Rowling does not explain it. Wow, that's you know, amazing. She just puts it there. But that's right. so great. I can't, read, I can't wait to read this book. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we just re-wa- we rewatched all of the Harry Potter movies, Eric and I did. We just decided to just binge watch them. And it's very hard to right. do. Because it like, like it's like eating like a flourless chocolate cake in one <laughs> sitting. <laughs> right. It's just like way too much Harry Potter. I'm I sure. mean, we were really like right. shouting. But you like, also have like, you know, like, like I, I don't know, are we, is it time for a break? Yeah, we should probably take a uh, Let's break. take another interlude. Uh, this is Sundays on the East End, uh, WPPB, 88.3. <laughs> I am Alex Soclo. You did that great, honey. And Bridget Leroy will be right back with Alan Zola Kronzek, the magician, after these important words. The following is a public service announcement from 88.3 WPPB. Founded in 2002, Fighting Chance is a free-of-charge cancer counseling and resource center independent from any hospital and funded solely by charitable contributions located in Sag Harbor on Long Island's East End, providing patients and their caregivers free access to a variety of resources and professional counseling. More information at fightingchance.org or 631-725-4646. We're back with Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy and Alex Sokolow, and we're here with our guest Alan Zola Kronzak. And uh, Alan, uh, I just asked you, and I'm curious, what is the greatest magic trick that you have ever seen? 
I don't think I have an answer. Oh, come to that. on. I don't. <laughs> I, I remember the first magic trick that knocked me out. There. How about that okay. one? Then? And that's, I was a kid, and this was at a um, Cub Scout dinner, you know, blue and gold dinner. And they had a, um, a, a magician. Murray the Magician. Murray? Murray the Magician. And so Murray... He wasn't really trying that hard with his name. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't know. That might not have been his real name. Went for the alliteration, right. you know? Um, so <laughs> what he did, he had a, a glass, and he put it on a stand, and several feet away he had a pitcher of milk, and he put it on a stand, and then he tied a ribbon between the two, clapped his hands, and you could see the pitcher the level of milk go down and it came up in the glass and when the glass was maybe three quarters full he cut the ribbon and it stopped wow and that was it i said wow what the heck is going on yeah. i want to do that that is so cool i want to do that now this is a memory i don't you know Right. Really know how accurate the memory but the is. Uh, but that's but the, uh, the memory. But the aha moment. Oh yeah, is what you're really holding on to. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and um, and so let's talk about Grandpa Magic, your latest book. Sure. And it's doing really well, isn't it? Because I, I guess people come to a certain age where you really you want to entertain your grandchildren, you know, and and that that it's in the title, Grandpa Magic. The way it came about was. Uh, over the years, people have said to me after I perform, hey, can you show me something I can do for the grandkids? And I, that never registered until my wife said, you know, people are asking you that a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. maybe, that's, maybe that's the next book. And so it was. And are, are they fairly easy? Could, could you learn them if you're not a grandpa? For Absolutely. example, moi. Well, <laughs> the, the whole idea was um, this is a really cool way for grandparents to connect with the grandchildren, you know, by being really special and doing impossible things. And, and also and possibly them sparking the next generation of magicians Absolutely. by, by uh, instilling, instilling that sense of wonder. But, but a thing that happened, though, is that there's something ambiguous about the cover of the book, or at least a number of people thought this is a kid's book. Right. You know? Well, well oh, the cover of the book no is an illustration of, of a of likeness of you with, oh. with lightning coming out of your fingers uh, entertaining uh, <laughs> what looks like kids. And so I could see how people would think they that. Think people it's, would it's think it's about that, a character that, that named I'm Grandpa, Grandpa Magic. Magic. That's your new name. <laughs> but, the, but the great thing is it turns out that young people... Are, are just fine with this as a magic book. Yeah, and you it know, very it, clearly says how to yeah, on it. So no, everything is relatively How to shove simple. a straw up your nose oh, and stop. pull it from your mouth. No, is that in there? Yeah. How to shove a straw up your nose and pull it from your mouth? Yeah, I mean, you have to uh, insert the words appear to. <laughs> Kids, don't try this at home. Well, this, no. this is funny. On this morning, um, I checked my Amazon ratings, yeah. and I had a new review. I have all these wonderful five-star, and the review said, this is a great book, but I must warn you, my two-year-old uh, grandson tried shoving a straw up his nose <laughs> yeah. um, after seeing Grandpa do it. Oh, and no. you should tell people, and that, but now Grandpa had to explain. And now the two-year-old is like hooked on Coke, and it just, <laughs> it's been a downward spiral. I was going to go there, but thank you for taking that off my no, plate. No, now they're doing it together, Grandpa and Grandson. Oh, there. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that is Grandpa so Walter White. <laughs> <laughs> but I love this. It is a great way for connection. And once again, we're going back to the small sleight of hand, the idea of connecting with one other person by doing something very, very small. You, you know what I'm turned on by, though, also, is that it seems like the, you know, books books take a, a, a lot of time and effort. And it seems like your inspiration is always some, comes from internally. Like you, you get turned on by something, you find something interesting, and, and, and you go from there which might be one of the reasons why your books resonate, is that you're not, you're, 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 you're growing it from the ground up. Right, you're dri you know. driven by the passion of what you're writing about. Rather this is than true. Yeah. yeah, good observation. Except yeah. let's talk about this book. All right, <laughs> 52 <laughs> Ways to Cheat at Poker. Cheat is such a loaded word. It shouldn't be. But there's a subtitle, <laughs> How okay. to Spot Them, Foil Them, and Defend Yourself Against Them. Right, and in poker, like the one rule that, it, that I was told years ago is that if you look around the table and don't know who the sucker is, that means you're the sucker. And um, I always felt that way when I play poker. You're like, I'm the sucker. So, um, so tell me, how do you spot them, foil them, and defend yourself against them? Um, by understanding 
Well, first of all, that you can only do so to a limited degree. A really good card cheat will invent new ways and cheat you. Right. But you don't so think that all the people who are really like world champion poker players, you don't think they're all cheating? No, not at all. Okay. So no, I mean, but I would go back. I mean, like my favorite scene in a movie filled with favorite scenes is The, the Sting, Sting of course. and the poker game that was on yeah, the, the, the train. Um, which uh, was not so much a how to cheat, but it showed you the magic of you, you were playing along with Paul Newman's character uh, right. as he was uh, pulling in and Robert right Shaw's there character. With you. Yeah, you know? and, and John Scarnay's hands. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah, what, yeah. I always thought it was the amazing Randy. Who's, whose hands was it? John Scarney. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, the but best the, hands in the business then. Yeah. That brings us to this the whole idea of yeah. uh, I mean people love this thing as a movie they yeah. love the House of Games they love the Oceans movies uh, people really enjoy virtuoso deception you know, oh yeah and, all of those and, movies that have done so well recently like um, gosh what is it now the the magic one. Oh, now you see it? No, oh, I love those. I love those. Yeah, and um, but the, there was one before, the one that had Tesla in it. David right, but Buck that also oh, goes oh, to... Oh, yeah, the so prestige. The prestige. The prestige, right. right but, but like one of the most basic rules of writing is to hide the obvious as long as you can. And, uh -huh. and so it seems like it's a very similar rule to a, a proper magic trick, or even in the case of uh, what we're talking about. Grandpa movies, magic is grandpa, how, yeah. how, hiding it. How to hide it. How to hide it? Yep. Yeah. So yep, you you so you've written a book about how to deceive your grandchildren. How does that? Do you sleep <laughs> at night, Alan? <laughs> I, I, I sleep well enough. Um, so no, what? But, but it's not how to deceive them. It's how to thrill them. Exactly. And of that's course. the point of the magic. And the the cheating at poker book is really not meant to teach people to cheat, um, but the methods are so devious. I mean, there's uh, like what? Like like what's a d typical devious? Well, there are 52 of them in here. <laughs> in the you know, it's they're, they're 52 ways to cheat Coincident. Uh, well, no, I could actually um, find 52 different methods. Oh, and there are funny. probably There's more the than that. But there are only, you know, trickster thinking in general is problem solving. You know, and magic is problem solving. If you have an illusion you want to create, you have to figure out how to do it. So have you, know? you created an illusion? Have you created any magic? Yeah, I've created my like, own. So tell me like a... a, a trick for an illusion <laughs> they're illusions dad uh, that you created and what was the force behind it that made you want to create it um my contributions uh, to card magic these are all card magic okay. things are mainly in plots and um presentation and so like the, four, the, the story of the four queens or something like that uh, not exactly okay you well, know I, I tend not to like those kind of story tricks um what the, for me the most important thing is to get the people who I am performing for or with uh, deeply involved and have them do as many things as possible so that it seems like I'm doing nothing. Wow, that's really cool. Like my dad making me unwrap the deck and yes, pull out. Right. Yes. Those, so you get those, them involved. Yeah, they, there's, that's where the most resonance is. That's where the mystery is, you know, if I did it. And so... Um, the structure on which I build these things are not necessarily original card techniques. They can be uh, tricks that have been invented by others that I have changed and right. molded, and I may have messed made your with own. the uh, yeah made your own in, in a in more than one way, either presentationally or by changing what's called the handling. You know, how so you most of what you do, do. That is not, uh, and I hesitate to use the word technical because it's all technical, but you don't necessarily use. Oh, I Techno do. You do? <laughs> you do? Like fishing line and whatever? Oh, I mean, oh that no, that like, kind of stuff. No. Yeah, I mean, no, no. you're not using scaffolding. You're using your, your basically well, your hands and... Sure, but there's a tremendous amount of um, manipulation that's possible with a deck of cards. The, the, the amount of card slights and card techniques is, is very, very large and highly skilled. What did you think of, because uh, he passed recently, Ricky Jay? Ricky Jay was uh, my hero, yeah, me just too. a fabulous, fabulous magician and a scholar. Mm -hmm. And I uh, uh, like the way he comported himself and the way he represented magic as a serious entertainment for educated uh, adults. 
and his book, Learned Pigs and Fireproof Women, is one of my favorite books of all time, where he kind of goes down those people who were on the cards outside the vaudeville houses. And, you know, you know a lot of them were magicians and a lot of them yeah. were, were what we were called freaks back then. And, uh, the, you know, the guys who had the, the memory and, you know, all, all of that amazing stuff. He was just so incredible. Yeah. But his ability to throw a playing card <laughs> can yeah, probably was, never be. Uh, oh, no. Have you tried it? He's I sure I tried it. Um, you have to really work at it. And the, the guy who does it now who holds the world's record is pretty good himself. Right, and the phrase is you have to really work at it. I, you know, W.C. Fields was a masterful juggler yeah. in, in vaudeville. And uh, I read a, a biography of his years ago where he talked about the years he spent trying to, like, perfect one thing, one uh, achievement, that when he did it, it seemed so easy that people didn't clap because it he had made it so something so, so hard look so good. So you right, also, I think, right. got to make him. You got to, I would imagine, let the audience think that you're sweating just a little bit. Um, that's a useful uh, yeah. technique from time to time. You have to, you know. You know when I when, when I was in clown school, and I don't get to say that <laughs> sentence very much. Uh, when I, don't call Brown a clown school. <laughs> it's not bad. when I was in grad school for <laughs> clown and circus, and and we were juggling. You know. They, the, our juggling teacher told us, you know, because we were juggling balls and, and we were passing clubs and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you could juggle three things, like an egg, a, a chainsaw, and an axe. He said, and it's still juggling three things. Try juggling six things. That is much more impressive than juggling three of anything because it's that much harder to keep that much stuff going in the air. So anyway, that's has neither here nor there. Hi, Alan. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing. <laughs> so, uh, what is the what's been the? What um, are you juggling? No, uh, yeah. What are you <laughs> juggling? I was say, well, like, what's what's going on with Grandpa Magic? Have you had people approach you since the book came out and thank you? Uh, Sure. I mean, the fact that people are buying it is pretty good. I got a lot, a lot of local press on this, so it did very well out here. It sold out in many places, and is now, you know, going into a second printing. So I'm happy with that. And how um, do we, how do we grow the next, uh, the next generation of magicians? I mean, do you still go into schools, or do you still, are you still performing? I mean, for kids and. I'm no. I stopped performing for for kids uh, a while ago. And I stopped going into schools while I was writing Grandpa Magic. But I may go back, and I'm also going to um, possibly have a venue out here. I've been uh, looking around for the right place. I used to perform at a wonderful club called the Wild Rose. Oh, I remember is, that. You remember one? Yeah, sure. Gene uh, Casey and Joe Loro, all those. Yeah, my boys that would that all play there. That was a really hip place, and I, did, I performed there every uh, Friday night. And I like would drink there years. every yeah. every night for 20 years or so. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, so, as long where, as so when you go back out to perform, you'll you'll find local venue, and do you, uh, do you, do you go around the nation performing? No. No, so no, you stay regionally, and then yeah. you let your books do your talking for you. Yeah, and, the, and Long Island has a huge school system, so, you know, I, when I was working it, it was uh, fun to work. Mm -hmm. And did you ha of, do you have any stories of um, when you were in the schools of, of really realizing that you had connected with a young person that might actually um, follow in your footsteps or, or that magic somehow brought some magic to their lives? Um, the best I can say is that they found my... Everyone generally found my presentations enlightening. Yeah. You know, either about magic and what it is and where it came from or about science. I did a um, science program for many years about scientific method. But right, so again, it's that, it's that relationship though of science is, is about trying to kind of understand all the things that are in the universe and, and magic is, I think, the illusion of controlling all those things. Yes, but I didn't get into that with fifth graders. <laughs> <laughs> no, but of course the, the, not. The point was yeah. more like, um, how do you know it's real? You know, yeah. I can show you things that you think are real or that you have no explanation for. Um, and what a magician does is show you the false and hide the real. And so that's a theme. And That's cool. Uh, show you the false and hide the and real. And hide the real. Right, and there we go back to deception. Sure, that's, right. you know, that's what, but uh, how do you tell the difference between false and real, and can you in regular, ordinary, everyday life? Uh, because there's always something going on behind the scenes, you know. So w right. when I talk science, I was just talking scientific method uh, as a way of beginning to try to discover true knowledge about how things work. You observe, you come up with a hypothesis, and then you figure out 
um, a way to test it. And that was the basic point of the program, but the kids came away with the realization that you can have many interpretations for the same thing, that it's really um, easy to be fooled and mistaken about what you see, because the teachers would have no idea what I was doing either when I would, you know, fool them. Right, and it's like you said, magic is in the eye of the beholder. And those that can't do teach. Oh, come on. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I did that come out? Am I back in ninth grade? Yeah, don't do that. We went. We were in ninth grade together, by the way. We went really? to school together. Yeah. yeah. And so, those that can't yeah. teach, teach Jim. I know. That's. I was going to say that, but then I thought it would be too offensive, so I didn't. Uh, okay, well, that's, well you, you can say whatever you want, Bridge. I know. Well, I figured out a way to do both, you know, because that's, you know, in terms of having a um, performing persona, you know, when I was a fantasizing as a kid about being a magician, I would imagine that I would be on the Ed Sullivan show, which always had magicians. But what I would be doing there and who I was, I had no idea. I just imagined. That's awesome. You know, I, I, this is true, actually. I got stuck in an elevator with Ed Sullivan when I was four years old, <laughs> and he cursed me out. Because, For what reason? Because uh, it was a small elevator, and he was claustrophobic. And when we got stuck, I, we were the only two people oh, in the elevator. Stuck. No. got stuck. We got stuck between the second and third floor. Um, on a small little elevator. Did he live in your building? No, no. It was it was at a uh, the Lone Star Boat Club, which was on 54th Street, right by where Studio 54 was, and right around the corner from the Ed Sullivan Theater. And he right. was there, and my dad was a member there, so he would bring me there when I was a kid. And we got in the elevator, uh, got stuck, and he's, he's like, you know, what floor were you going to? And I'm like, two. And we were stuck between two and three. And he's like, then why the f- and you push it, you little shit bastard. <laughs> and, I like, <laughs> and I was like, where can I get that kind of respect? <laughs> I'll become a screenwriter. <laughs> and did it work? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah I've been yeah, cursed sure. out by, by many since then. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, Alan Zola-Konzek, it has been so great to have you here. I mean, what, what's the takeaway with magic going forward? I mean, you, you, you've said that it seems to be making a comeback in uh, the small venues, right? Yes. Um, you know, I was just uh, talking to people in Pittsburgh where I grew up. There are two venues opening. These are small venues, like 60 people. Right. Uh, right now in New York City, there are at least three uh, close-up shows going on. That's amazing. And uh, over the summer, Derek Delgadio had a tremendous run in, in uh, a theater in New York. That was like a 200 house just amazing, amazing show. That's uh, so great. You know, and, and you know what else is really big now are these escape rooms. And I know that's not the small kind of sleight of hand that we're talking about, but you can't talk about magic without thinking of Houdini and, you know, him being able to escape from anything, which I guess is kind of, I guess, what Blaine kind of tried to but he, do. But escape or artist, was it? to me, I mean, I mean it's, maybe it's just different degrees, but when I think about a magician, I think about somebody that... Um, is is playing with my mind and perception. When I think about an escape artist, yeah, I think about, about somebody playing with my fear of will he be able to, or she be able to get out. Well, it's also the logic. You have to figure out the puzzle. It's more of a puzzle where you're figuring out how to, you know, I've done them, the escape rooms. They're really, really fun. I don't even know what that is. Oh, well, I'll room. tell you after the okay. show. It's it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But um, there seems to be like a return where people want to want to. Um, be fooled or, or like they want to believe, I guess. I, I will just say also, as we're talking, I'm leaving through Grandpa Magic and I see like 15 things I want to learn how to do. I'm not a grandpa yet, but just because I want to be able to have that ability if it comes up. So it seems like an amazing book in its accessibility to normal schmoes like me. Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but go, go back to the you know the idea of of, of these um, smaller venues popping up and 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 magic having si- sort of a I guess a little bit of a renaissance. Um, the small magic. What what do you think that stems from? I think it stems from uh, the experience and the thrill people get at experiencing wonder and mystery. You know, it's wonderful. Yeah, I, I guess that will never end. I mean, and and going back to the to the beginning i mean where where people like you were talking about jesus but before that i mean people traveling around and and bringing some awe into the lives of villagers <laughs> around you know as they well, and people want to believe while their minds also telling them not to believe and that's that's the tug of war that too yeah people do want to believe and there's also a lot of uh, um, not to get too metaphysical, but symbolic resonance in the effects of magic. Things appearing, disappearing, they're destroyed, they're restored. Well, but, but again, oh, when, when, when Stephen Hawking died in his obit, they were talking about how, you know, energy disappears into a black hole and then it reappears and, and that that 
broke some theory of his, and his whole thing was was that God plays dice with the universe, and you can't see the dice, so you get into that. Yes, <laughs> you know, like where does it go, and how does it come back? And and the mystery is wonderful. Yeah. Well, we've been speaking with magician Alan Zola Kronzak and author. Uh, he has several books out, the most recent being Grandpa Magic and another one on the horizon. And you've been listening to Sundays on the East End with Bridget Leroy. And Alex Sokolow. Here on Long Island's only NPR station, WPPB. You can listen online as well at 883WPPB.org. And uh, we've had a wonderful time having you on the show. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. Uh, be well, stay well. <laughs>